This is Mission.org. I'm Alec Baldwin, and you're listening to Marketing Trends and the Leeds Art Week. Hello, and welcome to Marketing Trends. This is producer Ben Wilson. Today's episode features an interview with Nadia Masri. Nadia is the founder and CEO of Perksy, a consumer insights platform that powers real-time research with millennial and Gen Z audiences. In this interview, Nadia talks about how to market to younger audiences and how to discover their attitudes through consumer insights. It's a great interview for anyone who is trying to market specifically to younger audiences. So please enjoy this interview with Nadia Masri, founder and CEO of Perksy. Marketing Trends is brought to you by Salesforce Pardot, B2B marketing automation on the world's number one CRM. Are you ready to take your B2B marketing to new heights? With Pardot, marketers can find and nurture leads, close more deals, and maximize ROI. Learn more by visiting pardot.com slash podcast, or click on the link in our show notes. Here is your host, Ian Faison. Welcome to Marketing Trends. I'm Ian Faison, Chief Content Officer here at Mission.org. And in studio, special guest, Nadia, how's it going? Uh, It's going great, Ian. How are you? It's a great day. It's a great day to talk about marketing, to talk about millennials, to talk about Gen Z and mobile, Gen Y. I don't even know what Gen Y is. Um, we'll get to all of that. And Gen Y, they're, they're actually millennials. Oh, really? Oh, yeah. see, there you go. We're going to get into all of that stuff, how to market to those folks. Mm-hmm. Maybe there's some secrets there about, about marketing to uh, those types of demographics and all the things that you're working on at Perksy. But first, how'd you get into marketing? Huh. I mean, that's a tough one because I think I didn't get into marketing on purpose. I just woke up one day and was like, oh, I'm in marketing. So this is my my fourth company. I started my first when I was 17. And I think that's when I, I don't know that I realized that I enjoyed marketing then, but I knew that I liked activities that were kind of associated with it. I just didn't have a category. Um, so I started a painting company in my first year of college when I was 17. And it was through a franchise called College Pro Painters, which gave students an opportunity to buy these franchises and then build businesses. And what was really interesting about that is we were able to produce a lot of work that summer. And it was because I designed a t-shirt line. I got all our painters wearing the same clothes and the same like cool matching outfits. I hired a couple friends. Uh, we went around, had all sorts of flyers. And it was, you know, I would say fairly traditional marketing because I was just getting my my feet wet. A lot of postcode marketing. So in Canada, just working with the post office to to send out. I mean, you know, now you have companies like Casper that are getting yeah. back into it. I actually think it's quite smart. It's really interesting. I probably pay attention to that kind of marketing the most because I don't get mail. So I get really excited. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I think, yeah, that's when I that's when I first I guess, started doing some marketing, but it wasn't really until the third company I was at, I was co-founder, um, a company called 460 in in Toronto, where I was brought in as the co-founder and CMO. Mm-hmm. And that's when I really started practicing marketing activities. And I absolutely loved it. It was, it was so cool to just sit down and think about who our audience was, how we could reach them and figure out really creative methods, especially because we were an unfunded startup at the time to reach 
our target customer. So we did things like, you know, fashion week activations, um, events at film festivals like the Toronto International Film Festival. The fashion week stuff was really cool too. Um, putting little, you know, designed postcards and I guess like freebies on everyone's seat in the front yep. row mm-hmm. because we realized everyone sitting in the front row was who we were trying to reach. Oh, um, that's good. Yeah. So we did a couple of things like that. And I just, I really enjoyed it. I found it to be such a creative practice. And I liked the fact that it it was creative and intellectual. You really had to sit down and think about strategy, but you could get really creative with that strategy as well. And I think that's when marketing is the most successful inherently. You know, a lot of our listeners have had this experience, but I love when you talk to people and they get into marketing from a, from the creative side, because I think a lot of times the creative side or like the artistic side is traditionally associated with like, you know, the PowerPoint slides or the brand stuff. And then kind of you get under the hood and you realize, oh no, this person is building like a data platform. Um, in your case, you know, with Perksy, building something that is extremely, you know, it's an intelligence platform, it's leveraging data. It's about the blend of that creativity and the and technology. Can you share a little bit more about what you're building? Yeah, absolutely. You know, we realized that as consumers, brands and marketing have evolved with mobile, market research and consumer insights really hasn't. So what we wanted to do was find a way to make, you know, consumer and audience research less expensive, less time-consuming, and a lot more engaging for the consumer. So we built Perksy. It's a next-gen consumer insights platform that powers real-time research with millennial and Gen Z audiences uh, through a mobile app. So users download the Perksy app. They can answer these immersive, interactive questions from brands in a format called Stacks. We never use the word survey. It's like a dirty word for consumers. Oh, all right. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I guess it is a pretty dirty word. Yeah, I mean, you think survey, and it's not really something that you want to do. Like, oh, I, it's like jury I, duty. Yeah, it, it's that's a perfect example. Yeah. It's just like jury duty. <laughs> um, something that, you know, you kind of should do and would be great to do, but you don't really want to do it. So we wanted to reframe that and make it just you know, fun, simple, and rewarding for the consumer. So they can collect points with every stack that they answer and unlock for rewards and experiences at over 100 participating retailers. So like Nike, Nordstrom, Sephora, Delta Airlines, even subscription favorites like uh, Spotify, Netflix, Hulu, HBO Go. And I think for us, you know, one of the common, the most common pieces of feedback we hear from our audience is that it just doesn't feel like a survey. And that's the experience that really sets us apart so it's almost like a game and our users are are pretty addicted. Like our completion rate, so our response rate is 85%. That's awesome. Which means 85% of our, our users respond to and complete their stack within six hours of receiving that first push notification. We've done similar experiments at Mission around types of immersive, like engaging, whether it's content or other sort of things. And I think it's like we talk about gamification in marketing a lot. But like, when do you actually see it work well, right? You see, you know, HQ trivia explode overnight, right? It's like, why? Oh, because it's actually something fun and gamified. It's kind of one of those things that once you're in it, you realize like, oh, this is fun. But I think a lot of marketers just kind of bang their head against the wall to try to think of these things. What do you think were some of the insights that allowed you to kind of unlock? And I know you can't share like, you know, any secretive details, (laughs) but just like some of the insights, like, that allowed you to see the marketplace and kind of think like the consumer? You know what? I think the starting point was the fact that I was the consumer. Yeah. So I thought about what I would want and 
I really worked with like my peer group. I talked to a lot of my friends, friends in Toronto, friends in Boston, friends in New York, friends in San Francisco, and just asked them like, what would make you answer questions from brands? And they were like, well, we love BuzzFeed quizzes. Yeah, like they're so totally. like fun. Yeah, yeah. I'm like, well, why? And they're like, well, it's really visual. And you know, at Perksy, we care a lot about design. It's really, really important to us. So we wanted to make sure that we had the design of the app down pat and even registered three provisional patents on our design experience. Because for us, creating the right experience for consumers is the way to engage them. So in a world built on social currency, participation is the new proof of product. So we wanted to figure out a way to create the utmost form of participation, which obviously in audience research is super, super important. Like yeah. that, that is the product. If they're participating and they're engaged, that's how you have a product so that brands can talk to them. And I just think like prioritizing the consumer experience was a new way to look at research instead of you know, building it from the brand side, which I think most platforms have historically done. They've yeah. just been so focused on the business and the company and that side of things. I'm like, why not build the glossier of consumer insights? Like, why not make it fun and engaging and rewarding? So people are like, I actually really like doing this. Like, I would do this anyways. We sometimes get emails like that where these users are like, oh, please send me more stacks. Like, you don't even have to give us points. We just want to answer more stacks. And I'm like, this is like actual music to my ears. <laughs> yeah, totally. And you know, when it follows some of the intent-based thinking, then you have a scenario where you're gaining insights of someone who is a hyper-engaged person in general. What are those like kind of personality types that you see from the people that are kind of engaged in this way? You know, what's funny. I wouldn't say that a certain personality type likes using Perksy because we can just tell by their diversity of thought and how they respond that these are very, very different people with different personas. So because our platform analyzes millions of data points across multiple channels, we're able to create these behavioral graphs on these users. So we inherently see what their personas are like and see how different they are. Yeah, I think that human psychology is all the same. We all like to be engaged. We all like to have a good experience, especially when it just comes to the brain and how we operate. We get dopamine hits in the same way. You know, you answer a question you answer a stack of questions, you get some points, you see the numbers go up and you get a dopamine hit. You unlock for a reward, you get a dopamine hit. I think we're all the same in that sense. But in terms of who answers and how, I think the who is really diverse. The how, we, we see a lot more similarities with, with different subgroups. Some people answer in short sentences. Some people like to give these lengthy, lengthy explanations where you know it's like they're texting a friend and we got paragraphs. Um, so I think that part depends. You know, you look at things like, you know, famous game shows or quiz shows or anything like that, right? Like playing along is part of it. Like part of it is the experience of like hanging out with, you know, Pat say Jack and listen to the different people's stories. And then you also want to like play the game. I think it's kind of one of these classic like old is old isn't old. It's just the recycled thing, the way that you're, you know, whatever neuroscience works, that it's the same sort of thing. Is there... But is there like a downside to this, right? Like, is there a side to that? I mean, we don't, we don't get have to get like super into the, you know, the meta of that. But I just think from from a brand perspective, you know, it's kind of like the if you give away a uh, free car, you know, you're going to get a lot of people that want to win a free car. So is there kind of like a downside of that that you could see potentially where it's like people who are super engaged are really engaged, but maybe they're not, you know, going to buy? Or is it more just around the fact that like 
it's so hard to get and keep people's attention that this is something where they're excited, they're engaged, and they want to they wanna play the game, so to speak. Yeah. So for us, we've noticed that it's not just people who want to answer for rewards. We find that they actually enjoy the process of this. And we learned that in our first year. So we launched in January 2018. And we didn't have that many questions in the beginning, yeah, right? Because we just launched. And so those users had to wait a lot longer to get their first rewards. And they stayed with us. Our retention was still really high and it still continues to be. And I think it just goes to show that if you provide a really good experience, people will stay. The reward just, sometimes I feel like it's icing on the cake for some of these folks. We've got someone with 20,000 points. Yeah. And we actually ended up sending him an email being like, hey, um, you know that you can cash out, right? Like many, many times over. Yeah. And he was like, oh yeah, like, I guess like I will. I just, like, it's just kind of like fun. And we're like, interesting. Yeah. Cool. Like, that's really interesting to see. I mean, when we think about downsides, there are none that I can really put my finger on. I think everything always has an upside and always has a downside, but it's harder with something like this to truly identify it only because you're just talking to your audience. Yeah. If you're a brand and you want to talk to your audience, you come to Perksy. I think the bigger downside is running the risk of not even being able to reach the right people. So using like third-party sample and this standard antiquated pool of professional respondents who get recycled through panel after panel, I think that's a lot worse. The downside there is a lot, a lot greater. Yeah. I mean, and ultimately... Oh gosh, and I always miss um, this quote, but it's something along the lines of a survey is a great way to tell you who will uh, answer questions for a free sandwich. And it's totally true, right? Yeah, but what we're trying to do is we're trying to break that by saying that they're collecting points instead of unlocking something right then and there. So the people who are answering a survey for a chance to win a $50 Amazon gift card are different from the people who are answering these questions and everyone's getting an equal number number of points. So I would say when we were fundraising, we had all the investors that we were talking to, we we got them to download the app. And I think some were skeptical. Yeah. And even some of our investors today, it's kind of funny. They're like, oh, I'm not in the age demographic. And I'm like, well, we, you know, you might think we're just millennial and Gen Z. And yeah, that's how we started, but we actually do 13 to 75. And they're like, oh yeah, but like, I'm not sure I'm in like the right demographic. And then they download it. And then we end up hearing them from them being like, I've been answering every single stack. This is so much fun. And like, that's what we really aim to do. Yeah. That was that was our goal. Like, we just want people to say, this is so fun. We enjoy doing it. And like icing on top of the cake, like I got a reward. Like that that was cool. I had a great, <laughs> it was funny the other day, I was, I was at like a family event and uh, my girlfriend plays this game. I forget what it's even called. Uh, we just call it fish game. But uh, <laughs> I was sitting... And like my mom was playing a game and my girlfriend was playing a game and I was, I don't know, whatever I was doing. And my mom said something like, oh, wow, I uh, like, shoot, I just, you know, lost whatever it was. And I realized, or I went and like looked over at her iPad and it was the same game that my girlfriend was playing. Like, no the exact, way. yeah, this is the ex- exact same game. It's like this, you know, whatever it's called. It's like one of these things, like when you say like, you know, 13 to 75, for example, I think a lot of people just are skeptical of things like that in general. Because like, yeah, how could you How could you reach that? Like, this is the classic idea of the Disney four-quadrant film, right? Yeah. It's like, or the Pixar, you know, four-quadrant film. Like, how could you make something 
that fits all demographics. And it's like, turns out there's one company that's really good at doing it. Uh, and they, there's the reason why they've been beating everyone at this for, uh, you know, hundred however many years, 50 years. But I think that this kind of insight is like, there are certain things like this that, that can be done. Yeah, absolutely. So I think even, you know, expanding on that, when you build for behavior and that behavior is inherently human, I think that's how you're able to create products and, you know, even services or marketing or whatever it is that span generations. So people think that certain behavioral traits or, or even certain things that we like or certain products are specific for the interest of one demographic. I don't think that's true. And that really just speaks to creating experiences that people love because those those experiences and those desires are inherently human. I think we all want to be heard. We all want to be entertained. We all want to like take a minute out of our day and we all like winning stuff. I mean, it's it's really fun. Like being able to be like, wow, I just got a freebie or like, wow, I just earned a reward. That's why we play games. Like games have been infused in, you know, our human behavior for a very long time. Games have existed for as long as humans have been around, maybe they weren't as sophisticated then, but like, we all like playing Catan. <laughs> yeah, totally. Well, yeah, oh, no, where'd it I, go? I saw, oh, I saw the floor box. <laughs> yeah, it's over there. Uh, we have like three or four, yeah. however, five board games in studio. So do you think these concepts, I mean, I've talked about on the podcast before, like I generally dislike the term millennial and like baby boomer and a lot of that sort of stuff, because I think from a marketing perspective, like it's extremely hollow words. And we were kind of talking uh, earlier about this, that you kind of have an interesting take on this. I'm curious to where you, where you find yourself on these labels of millennial, Gen Z, these type of things. Yeah. So while I know that these labels have been attributed to demographics to define that demographic. We actually don't believe that these behavioral traits should be assigned only to them. So, you know, as I was joking with you before, my mom, who is 68, likes to define herself as a millennial because she feels like everything that she reads about millennials is true for her. She's like, I'm a millennial. It's like reading your horoscope. It's like, man, I could be a Pisces or a Virgo. Yeah. what am I? What am I? These all apply to me. I'm like this month. I'm definitely a Virgo. Yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> and it's the same thing with my brother. I think he might be closer to a baby boomer. He's um, <laughs> technically a millennial. <laughs> but you know, while it might be true that there are some aspects of the way we live our life that could be attributed to a demographic, so sometimes things that have to do with finances could be true. I mean, that's just based on the time when we are born. I mean, they say that research has shown that Gen Z. They're a little bit better with their their finances because they were born in a time of economic downturn, but saw their parents come out of that. So they're a little more optimistic about their financial futures, but they're aware that there are principles and work that they have to put in in order to achieve that. And that times can be hard, whereas millennials were born at a time of economic growth. So while those things are true, and I think, you know, you can kind of think about a demographic from that perspective behaviorally, we don't like to encourage brands to only focus on targeting a demographic. You might be targeting a certain age group. And it is true that, you know, certain people have a tendency to go through life cycles in a fairly similar way or a fairly repetitive way. It's not necessarily true that they have the same 
interests, and behaviors. So our belief is the habits, um, behaviors, and preferences of the mobile generation are constantly changing, especially since they're in shifting life cycles. So what your audience wants today may not be what your audience wants tomorrow. And technology has really evolved this as well. I mean, and I think it's it's more about where you are in your life than it is about when you were born. Like, obviously, your age plays into it a huge part of this, but if you're 40 years old and you have a one-year-old daughter, or if you're 22 years old and have a one-year-old Absolutely. daughter, like you have a one-year-old daughter, you know what I mean? So I, I just think that from a- Your market- priorities are kind of the same. Yeah. And so I think from a marketing perspective, I think we just get so caught up in like the labels of, of different things or age groups or this sort of thing, instead of like just looking at the data and trying to make it, your assumptions off the data rather than like trying to put your- put your spin on stuff before you even can capture what you want. And I see this from a lot of marketers that are saying like, we're going after, you know, 17 to 35. Yeah. Like, yeah, that was cool when it was like, we were trying to reach millions of people via TV shows, but like we can get a lot deeper than that. What are some of those deeper insights? Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, even going off of that for us, what's really important is behavioral targeting. So we now have the capability to say, I want to reach people who are health nuts and love fitness. You can target them. We have the capability to do this. So, you know, if you can better understand that audience, you can better understand how to market and sell products to them. And I just don't think that marketers are thinking as much about that behavioral strategy with their marketing. You know, some of the insights that that we see is, a 15-year-old girl in Portland, Oregon, or Nashville, Tennessee, is not the same as a 15-year-old girl in Toronto, Canada, or Manhattan, New York. So their behaviors are going to be different. So just targeting you know, 15 to 17-year-old girls and saying, at a very high level, we're going to do XYZ strategy. It's going to reach these girls. These are the influencers we're going to use. And you know that's, that's how we're going to win them. We don't believe in that. We also believe in hyper-local marketing. So Nike does this really, really well. So basically they'll identify these areas that they call satellite areas and then just do drops of marketing there. Mm-hmm. So they'll be like, all right, we're gonna, you know, focus our marketing for fly zones in New York and and target those. Or we're going to, you know, market to Portland, Oregon. And this is what our marketing is going to look like there. Or in San Francisco, California, this is what it's going to look like here. And I think that makes a lot of sense too, because better understanding even the the athletes or the the customers that they would have in those cities, behaviorally, they're going to be different, even based on region. And you're talking mostly consumer based, or, or are you talking? I don't know if you work with any B two B companies at all. We're mostly we're mostly B two C. So yeah. just anyone anyone who's trying to reach you know consumers. Yeah, yeah. That's that's who we're focused on. I want to go into the behavior piece, you know, a little deeper. I think it's really interesting that there are these like broad generational themes that. You know, a coming of age tale always resonates to someone who is coming of age, right? Like we were talking about Harry Potter before uh, before we started recording because we have a- Love Harry Potter. Uh, yeah, love Harry Potter. <laughs> so there's a great book. And so one of the interesting things that I heard um, recently, so my I was talking to my mom and I'm, I'm roughly the same age as Harry, I think. I might be a little older, but- uh, yeah, I think I think I was a few years older when he when the books first came out. And so she was saying she's like when I read it the first time, like I read it as, you know, a mother. And then the second time I read it, I read it as like once my brother had had his son, I read it as a grandmother. And I think people from that are the same age as me 
you know, read it the first time as like, you know, Harry's the avatar for the person entering the world. And I think that like these sort of things, especially with content and experiences that are based off of like where you are in that position of life are pretty, are pretty eternal, right? Like yeah. there, there are some things there similar to like how we shape, you know, millennials or baby, baby boomers or things like that. But it also is like cross cut by all things like, you know, like you were talking about with influencers that are in your area or influencers that are not necessarily geographic influencers, but you know, influencers over music or celebrity or things like that. How do you think that the kind of like influencers play into this kind of world? Because one of the things I'm most you know excited about going forward is the way that we can connect with like the stars around us. And I think as you're talking about with Nike, like Nike makes their athletes more available now than kind of ever before. Like, and these yeah. are the superheroes. So if you're a brand that has Perksy at their disposal, that's learning these crucial insights about their customers that they can then test with real time with things like influencers, it seems like it's just such a powerful combination. Yeah, absolutely. So that's a big one for us, um, doing influencer testing. So brands trying to understand if using a specific influencer makes sense for the audience that they're trying to reach. You know, if you wanted to better understand if 15 to 17 year old girls in Nashville, Tennessee, still like Justin Bieber, you could do that. And then you could segment and understand, you know, well, what are the subgroups or why? So I think that's really important to us too, not what, but why. And I think using influencers can make sense. It, re it really just depends on the and brand, the size of the brand. Influencers are weird. I, I, know, I know it's that such a weird term. It's a, it's like a weird got, term. And, I mean, you've got these like mega influencers. You've got celebrities. You've got athletes. And now we have micro. The whole thing's crazy. Yeah. But, but, I, but, but it's still an important thing. And someone's got to create a better word. But someone who commands an audience that has an audience of fans that follow them either in a, you know, semi-regular fashion or, you know, diehard fans or whatever it is, but someone who commands influence over a group of people, for now, that's called an influencer. Yeah. <laughs> so using that definition, I mean, the way that I think about it is when choosing an influencer, I like kind of like the in-between influencers, and I've always found the micro-influencer strategy to work really well. That's what we did at 460, and that's what we encouraged um, the brands we worked with to do. And we just saw a lot of influencer work because, you know, we were a digital marketing platform. We, you know, focused primarily on social media. So we saw a lot of this stuff come through. And there was one brand that did it really well. They didn't spend money on any other type of marketing at the time other than micro-influencers. It was a swimsuit brand out of Australia called Triangle Swimwear. Is this the one that used like the, did the like giveaway that like went super viral? I'm not, I'm not sure, but they did. Well, they did. They would just send bathing suits yeah. to these girls. Yeah. yeah I mean, yeah. I got one in the mail yeah, and yeah. I remember I also felt so cool because I had like a thousand followers and was, you know, it was not that many and was really excited because I'm like, why did they send me this bathing suit? And that's what they did. And I told all my friends about it. So I think that has a, a stronger influence and ends up costing less than using these mega influencers and not actually being sure of what the ROI is on that. That kind of stuff is really hard to track too. Yeah, I mean, I would I would say, I totally agree on the micro, micro influencer thing. I think that it's just gotta be tied to, not that it's necessarily better, I think it's super important. I, I think that it's gotta be tied to like a larger campaign that makes a certain amount of sense. Like one of the things that we recently had an awesome episode with Alexandra Morehouse, who's the person who signed Steph Curry for two Kaiser Permanente back in the day. And it was one of those things where kind of right time, right place, all of that. But 
putting someone like that as a spokesperson for your brand can do something in a way that no amount of, you know, advertising, it's show, don't tell, right? Yeah. Um, and that's super powerful. And any type of influencer is like show, don't tell. Somebody at some point convinced this person that you love uh, or are a huge fan of that this brand is right for them to get paid by and therefore vice versa, you should probably buy our stuff. It's super valuable. And some of those like, yeah, I mean, what is it, like Kim Kardashian can like sell out something just by like, you know, a single tweet. So you have stuff like that where it's, I mean, it's undeniable. Is it worth it? Is the ROI worth it? That's the numbers kind of will dictate. Yeah, I guess also, you know, you got to think about what kind of marketing you're doing. So mm -hmm. if you're just trying to sell something quickly and you just want that product to sell out, I mean, sure. But building long-term marketing strategies, also thinking about building brand equity with your audience and making sure that everything that you do is in line with what you believe as a brand. And I think that creates longevity in, in brand building. Uh, yeah, absolutely. It's a great point. And that's kind of how marketers use these things in their toolkit, how they use and accumulate data is obviously going to be, you know, it's critical for the best marketers now. It's going to be way more important as we go. Um, as you tie in things like automation and all the fun tools that we have for this stuff and, and the insights that you glean, I think, you know, a lot of times we are scared about how either little data we have or how much data we have. Yep. And I so, think we have both simultaneously. Oh, for sure. And so you're saying like, oh, we have all this stuff. I don't know how to synthesize it. But at the same time, you always need more. So I think things like that are the way to to leverage those as like one of the levers that you can pull as a marketer. Super exciting. I think like timeliness is really important. So I think, you know, the value that we've been able to to bring, you know, obviously there are a few different things that I think are the most valuable, but a common one we hear is is speed. So the ability to get like a thousand gen pop responses in under 30 minutes, you know, turn around 30,000 responses in 48 hours. Typically, it would be quick for these marketers and these research folks to to get data back in two months yeah. to execute like a, a real research study. So when you think about how quickly we're moving as a society and how quickly our consumers are evolving, what they want, what they like, what they're listening to, what they're watching, um, what they're paying attention to. I think speed is such an important factor. So when you're a CMO and you have to sit down and make a decision and you're like, you know, this just popped up on my radar. I got to figure out, you know, if my audience wants this, does this make sense? Like, do we need to jump on Twitch? Like her Marshmallow hosted a, a concert on Twitch. Like, should we be doing something like yeah, this? Yeah, like yeah. being able to validate those concepts and ideas really quickly is important because for some brands, it might take them another 10 months to execute a project where, and, and that would be quite quick for some brands to execute a project where it will show up and consumers will be able to interface with it. So by then, will that trend or will that interest still exist from those consumers? Will you still be reaching them in a relevant way? That's really, really important for brands to understand. So not just who's interested and why, but how long are they going to be interested for? These are the kind of questions they can ask. Yeah. Do you think that the ways that marketers can use those types of things, are they using them in conjunction with, this is what we're getting from our, you know, paid on Google or SEO or that stuff, 
plus this is the data that we're getting from Facebook or our social channels or whether it's paid or otherwise uh, from other mobile campaigns and then kind of leveraging that to make assumptions and then test them? Or is it more that they are seeking a specific result with that like hey should we be using twitch yes or no is it like yeah you it's, know? it's more that yeah so these questions are often like tr just trying to validate some of these concepts whether it's a marketer trying to figure out if they should be using a certain word in their new brand communications Interesting. that helps their audience um, better understand what it is they're trying to convey as a brand message whether it's certain imagery an influencer uh, for a particular audience um, new product testing and development. So understanding like, hey, are athletes going to like this new, you know, type of health bar that we're putting out there? Do they think this is cool? Is this something that they want? Even investors using our platform to do diligence and understand if consumer sentiment towards a particular product is as strong as the founder pitches it to be. Oh, yeah, like a bake-off. <laughs> yeah, we do that quite a bit. So, I mean, the type of customer we have really varies. Everyone from chief creative officers to CMOs to heads of insights and analytics, uh, researchers. We've even had graphic designers use our platform to vet whether or not a logo best represents what the brand is for that audience. Do you find that folks that are, you know, they, they make a, hey, do we want to use this type of phrase or, or these sort of things, they get results from a campaign and then they take that and then test in the market in real time with like paid and things like that and kind of continue the experiment. Is that like the the kind of thought process is like you start it, you gain insights, and then you start like A-B test. Like you start kind of like, you know, split testing different messaging or whatever it is. And then you kind of continue that through your ad campaign until you kind of find the, find whatever is working best and then dump the cash on top of it? Yeah, I mean, I think it really depends on the brand. While that might be more feasible for a mid-market brand, a lot of the Fortune 500s we work with, you know, when they're trying to collect research and insights on their marketing campaigns, they're planning to take it to market, which is why it's so important for us to ensure that we have the right audience, which is why we spent three years building our technology to get it just right for these brands. Because when it goes to market, we've got to show sales lift or we've got to show ROI and they're using our platform to vet their concepts. You know, we have to we have to make good on the promises that we make. And I think that that really rang true when we ran a response stack. So a response campaign to the Gillette best demand can be ad that ran mm -hmm. in uh, January. Do you remember that? Yeah, of course. Um, so, you know, it touched upon toxic masculinity, a really hot topic right now. And mass media was saying that everything was flagging red on social media. They were saying like, oh, like people are responding poorly. Yeah, to like the ad. out, the, yeah. yeah, the out, the outburst and then the outlash to the outburst and then all that sort of stuff. And Yeah, exactly. But the research that we did actually showed that the audience that we tested with 18 to 34 really liked the ad and they gave us paragraphs as to why. And we ended up sending that data to P&G and a few days later, we had an article out in Forbes mm -hmm. where Mark Pritchard, the chief brand officer for P&G, was saying, you know, Perksy's data was very much in line with the research that 
we had run internally. Like before the before yeah, the ad. and and yeah. it was great because it really validated our methodology. It validated that the data that we're getting is in line with one of the most sophisticated companies. Like their research department is very sophisticated, and even more so, we were able to add some some color as to why the audience felt that way. So that's what we really pride ourselves on, being able to deliver this context as to not what, but why. We can get you the what, but we also really want to get you the why. So why did they feel this way? Okay, they like the ad, but why did they like the ad? Why is this so important? Why do they feel that brands do need to stand up um, for issues that they feel are important today? Why is that important? Yeah, I mean, I think it's also important that like things like social media or kind of like the the hive mindset, a lot of that stuff is done in public. And obviously there's a lot of people that, that don't care if their stuff is seen in public, but there's just a lot of people that don't want their stuff seen in public. Yeah, totally. And so I'm curious to see how much, maybe you've done some research on this, how much of that sharing that is private allows people to actually share what they say. I mean, we always say, you know, people vote with their wallet anyways. So yep. whether or not they're going to keep buying, I mean, that was like everyone, you know, people that were saying stuff like there was backlash on like the Colin Kaepernick ad, stuff like that. And uh, Nike crushed their next quarter or whatever. And yep. it's like, yeah, people vote, vote with their wallet. And obviously all of that stuff goes much beyond whatever next quarter is going to sales is going to be. It's pretty reductive, but I'm curious to see what, what you see from that perspective. Yeah. And what's really interesting is that comes up a lot. Sometimes brands see the answers and they're like, wow, people are being really honest. And I think part of it is is also because these users know that like we never reveal any PII, so yeah. personally identifying information. So they're completely anonymous in our platform. A brand will never be able to identify them. And, you know, they get a little notification about that when they first download the app. And we do think it makes a difference. Like when we were trying to refine our strategy to make sure that our users knew how we treated their data and knew that we kept it um, super private and very anonymous, like to the point where we don't even store PII on the same database where we store the responses Yeah, so that you know, even like knock on wood, knock, knock, <laughs> even if there was, you know, a hack or something like that, we would never have that information revealed. And so that's really important to us. And we found that the majority of our users, they're like, oh no, like we're aware. We know this. So we sent out a questions to to them and they were aware. And I think it really does influence it. And the way in which they're responding to these questions, like, you know, they might just be sitting on the couch or sitting on the bus. Like it's very intimate and very private. It's just between like them and the app. And so the responses we get sometimes are like glaringly real. It's kind of cool to read sometimes. Yeah, I mean, we we have the same sort of thing with responses to like our newsletters or things like that, where it's like people actually email you or DM you like thoughts that are super private, but it's like, you know, on, and some people do this because uh, it's a little anonymized, you know, in like the comments section of the podcast or stuff like that. That's pretty cool. But like, um, they might not tweet it. Like yeah. they're more inclined to send a DM. Of course. I do the same thing. So yeah. sometimes I see stuff on Twitter and I feel very strongly about what someone wrote. And instead of tweeting back, I'll just send them a DM and or be you, like, I do not agree with what you just said. Or you forward it, or you forward it to your friend and you're like, this, this person, like, yeah. what is this? person talking about yeah yeah no no i mean or you send it in like a group message or something like that no totally i mean i think that all of the all of that information that's happening in group messages and and threads and dms 
is absolutely fascinating. I, th- I mean, I think it's the far more interesting thing that is happening on social media is happening in the DMs than, yeah. than in public. But like kind of what you said about social, I think that today your Instagram, especially like I would say the Instagram of you know myself and some of my peers, is just kind of like a highlight reel of a millennial. I mean, it's not. I mean, it's. I mean, it's a highlight reel for anybody. Yeah, and and the thing is, like, you know, with the going off the PNG example, I mean, they were only picking up on people who felt very strongly in a negative way about the ad. People who just felt like, oh, it was cool, like it was a good ad. They're not going to post about that. Why would I go on Twitter and be like, this is a good ad? Great, thank yeah. you. Like. That's not going to happen as much, but the people who go on are like, oh, I really don't like this. Like that's going to flag on social listening tools as negative sentiment, but it it's not actually representative of what the entire audience is thinking and isn't able to capture everything. Yeah. I mean, it gives you a really good insight into how many people are mad, um, yeah. but it's like, and it's definitely not going to give you the vast majority of people, which are like the 80% in the middle that are indifferent or like slightly positive, right? Like yeah. the six out of 10. And you also don't have data on who those people are. Yeah. Like that's not that's not as helpful. Like knowing that, let's say 20% of people did not like the ad, just being like, well, 20% of Twitter users didn't like it. It's like, or whatever it is, that's not as helpful as saying, okay, let's segment this audience and understand who exactly didn't like the ad. Like where are they geographically located? What are their behaviors like? You know, how can we segment them? How can we better understand these people so we know if they actually fit into our customer demographic? Are we going after them? Are we are we upset that these people did not like the ad? Or is it kind of fine for us because we weren't going after them anyways? I think those are really important questions to ask. On the platform, do you allow like retargeting or things like that or like pixels or anything that allows people to, you know, re-engage? If you mean in terms of marketing and advertising, yeah, uh, no, they can create lookalikes and then upload those lookalikes wherever they want. But we just don't believe in that. This is like audience research. If you want to better understand your audience, you come onto Perksy, you ask them the questions you need to ask. We'll tell you everything about the audience that actually does like your product or service or whatever it is. We always tell brands, if you want to ask them for their emails and tell them the purpose of it, you're more than welcome to. Yeah. But everything needs to be explicit. It needs to be, hey, you know, you said you really liked our product. As the next step, like, would you be interested in signing up for our newsletter? Yeah, yeah. Like, here's the value prop. If you offer the user a value prop and they want to give it to you, it's up to them to decide. Yeah. We just leave in the, like, it should be all consumer driven. You know, obviously, Perksy is at the cutting edge of how we get these type of, like, deep insights. What do you think is next for consumer marketing? So, you know, this is all part of our belief that brain should be allowing consumers to dictate this. So the consumer landscape is dramatically changing. It's becoming democratized. So now more than ever, consumers have the right to decide if they want to be marketed to. If they are going on social media, they can unfollow a brand. They can unfollow an influencer. They can not pay attention to tweets. And if a brand does something that is not in line with their values, we now have global stages where these consumers can advocate for what they really want. They can say, we didn't like this ad. We don't like the way this brand is behaving, whatever it is. So brands have to be especially sensitive to the things that they're doing and the things that they're saying. So our belief is that what's next in consumer marketing is allowing consumers to drive and dictate that marketing. So asking them, what is it that you want? 
embedding them into the process of creation and allowing them to build with you. We're seeing more and more research both internally at Perksy and even externally that's showing that younger audiences want to be a part of the process. They want to build with brands. And we genuinely believe that this is both the future of not only marketing, but also product development. Yeah, I mean, people have been super close to brands for like as long as they've been around. Like, look at someone who drives a Harley. Like, look at- I was just thinking that. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's like, this is not, like, it's not a new thing. I think that your point is that the way in which we engage is new. Absolutely. I, I think the connection with brands is not, something that's like new at all and i think that's one of the things that's so exciting is if you're one of the brands that really resonates i mean look at what yeti has done i mean it's wild in like such a short amount of time they've really mastered a lot of that stuff and and i just think if you are one of those type of brands what do you want more than ever like deeper insights on how you can serve your customers better um you know i think the way that brands can literally create products off of these insights is absolutely fascinating. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. And I think even as consumers, we're looking to connect, we're looking to connect with something. And I think like in the example of Harley Davidson, you know, these people get tattoos of the Harley Davidson logo on their bodies. Like they deeply, deeply resonate with that brand. And I think we're all looking for that. And there's this common myth that millennials are not brand loyal. I don't think that's the case at all. It's that in general, like let's strip the demographic I think title. Uh, let's that's just, just a ridiculous. Yeah. I don't even know who's saying this stuff. A because lot like, of people. No, I know. I, no, I know. I know. I mean, I know that they are. I, I just mean like, it's just funny to me. Like they're not brand loyal to brands that no longer are relevant to them or have never been relevant or, to them. or care about them yeah. or are listening to them. Yeah. So that's what I mean by like building brand equity with an audience and developing a really meaningful connection. And I know that kind of sounds like a little like woo woo, but. That really is what it's all about. First of all, young people in Gen and I always this is my like, whatever uh, that I kind of always talk about. Young people in general, being fashionable is the most important thing. Like being someone who is desirable is extremely important to young people. Yeah, it is and it way always will yeah, be. and it's way less important when you're you know at a point where you have a significant other and have a family and all this. I mean, you still want to be be amazing for your partner or whatever that thing is. But I just think it's funny that people are like, oh, they're not loyal anymore. It's like, go look at any fashionable or like, you know, any young person trying to be fashionable right now. You don't think that they're loyal to the clothes that they're wearing. You don't think that they're loyal to like the music artists that they listen to, that the sports athletes that they follow. Like, what are you talking about? Yeah. Like a good example is that I used to listen to Rihanna a lot. Yeah. And even actually, you know what? I'm going to go with a better example because I'm from Toronto. So I got to give oh, a sure. shout out to the six. Drake. Yeah. I've loved Drake forever. No matter what Drake yeah. says or does, he has built enough brand equity with me that I will always love his music. Totally. I'll be like, no, Drake, you evolve in. That's, that's what this is. You're just <laughs> evolving. And I appreciate you because he's always been good to his fans. And it's kind of similar. It's just, you know, to say that Millennials are not brand loyal, I think is also silly because in the beginning, when you're testing products and figuring out what you like. So let's say I want to decide, I decide that I want to start drinking cold brew. I walk into Whole Foods, I see all my options and I try one one day, another one the next day, a third one on the third day and a fourth on the fourth. And I decide which one I like. And then once I figure out what I like and the brand resonates with me, I like the design, I like the packaging, I like the taste. 
I'm just going to drink that cold brew almost exclusively. Yeah. I mean, well, I think it's like millennials aren't brand loyal except for when like they wear a barstool sports t-shirt or like a t-shirt from the ringer.com or they're not brand loyal except for the fact that like they post, you know, photos on Instagram with Yeti coolers every day or, or like you go down the line. It's like, yeah, I, it's like you can't kind of you can't say that without just like pointing to all of the ways that it's like or they're not brand loyal, except there's 10 songs about red bottom shoes. And they're like, I mean, <laughs> yeah. you just you just kind of go down the line. And you're like, well, I, I don't really understand how you could make that claim other than citing, you know, some survey data that I, I just don't see people voting with their wallet or I see people voting with their wallet and I don't see the data that supports it. So I would actually say, and this is kind of like where the behavioral component comes in, but if I had to make a generalization, so I want to be clear, I'm making a generalization, but if I had to compare the two groups, millennials and baby boomers, I would say that millennials are more brand loyal than baby boomers are. Because for me, if you increase the price of the cold brew I drink, I'm still going to buy it. However, my father, who is an immigrant and lives in Canada with my mom, if you increase the price, he's going to go find a new coffee. If you change the quality of something or just change anything, really, he's out. He's not brand yeah. loyal anymore. Whereas I think for millennials, we want to identify with the brand. Whereas for my dad, he's looking for utility, like exclusively utility. Yeah, I switched my coffee. I was loyal to a coffee brand. And I just switched it because they don't have a low acid option. I have heartburn now. It's a tough life, man. Yeah, Getting tough older. life. Um, See, and it changes over time. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I just Googled uh, millennials brand loyal and first two, first two, uh, well, first three uh, results are brand loyalty, not a millennial trait. And then millennials are the most brand loyal generation. Yeah. So I mean, it's like, it, it is one of these things where I think number one gets clicks. Number two, like anything with, you know, millennial or baby boomer, like are going to get headlines. It's like, if you put Steve Jobs, Elon Musk, millennial and baby boomer in the same like sentence, it's like, you're probably going to get a million clicks on that article. Thank but, you for defining my 2019 marketing strategy. Yeah, no, it's probably true. <laughs> but, but I, I just think that at the end of the day, you have to go back to the data and things like Perksy, where you're getting at a minimum people that are going to give candid feedback. Yeah. Um, and that it is one tool in the arsenal of the marketer to be able to make their own decisions and not just like hold the court of opinion or Ian's opinion about, you know, people posting about Yeti. It, it just needs to be a data-driven answer to this. And ultimately, your one data point should not be, you know, like one overarching demographic that you think is, is the perfect fit. Yeah, it's got to be behavioral. Okay, let's do some lightning rounds. Cool. I'm not the, good at these. It's <laughs> all right. You're going to be great. Did Chad ask you lighting round questions? Yeah. Oh, mine are different. So it's all right. <clears throat> I think he did. I forget. I was super jet lagged. I had just gotten back from Israel. The lightning rounds, fast and easy questions, just like marketing automation with Pardot. Fast and easy. Go to pardot.com slash podcast. Great place to go. Give some love to the podcast when you're there, you know, just... Say like marketing trends. Fast and easy questions. Are you ready? Yes. Number one, what app are you using on your phone that's the most fun? The most fun? Do, can't say Perksy. Oh, man, that's so tough. Um, see, I use my phone only for like productivity. 
So it's kind of tough because I don't do anything that's okay. fun on my app. I'll I'll paste. I'll, I'll switch paste. What's paste? Paste. So paste is this app where it's just kind of like writing on a journal. So I mostly use it on my iPad because, like I said, it, it counts. Yeah, iPhone is mobile device. Productivity. Yeah, so mobile device. But I can draw. So I've been like making really nice drawings. I can show you them. They're really cool. Yeah, we'll look after this. Favorite vacation spot? South of France. Also, I haven't vacationed that much, so I don't have that many options. Hey, so I'm going to go south of France. That's a win. What ad campaign have you seen recently that you're envious of? I wouldn't say that I'm necessarily envious of any ad campaigns, but I would say there are two companies and I look at any advertising they do and I'm like, this is really well done. And those two companies are Glossier and Dosist. Just really well designed work. What about favorite book or podcast that you've read or listened to recently? You probably got that one from Chad though. Oh yeah, I did because I said the high growth handbook. Okay, me, I know what you can ask. No, go ahead. You can ask um, book I most want to read. Oh yeah, what book is on your, is did you order on the Kindle but haven't read yet? Why We Sleep. We had, I saw it on your table. Yeah, but. our sleep week for Mission Daily was so popular. People have trouble sleeping. It's a yeah. crazy world out there. And they're just not prioritizing it enough, but sleep is so important. And it's important. super important. I know, it's crazy. Like Your brain is like a Mac. It can only defrag when it's off. Yeah, there you go. I'm a Chromebook guy. <laughs> um, what question do you never get asked, but wish you were asked? Um, I would say if work just wasn't something you had to think about, how would you be spending all your time? How would you be spending all your time? Honestly, I look at this painting that you have Pretty back sweet, here right? in the studio. Yeah. All, all three of these paintings are incredible. Like I might steal them, but just like looking at these people in this painting, just like exploring the world. I mean, in like an alter ego slash other life, I would just be doing what that person's doing. Just like exploring the world and all of its wonders. I love outer space. So like the fact that you can see all the stars in this painting and everything in these mountains oh, and trees. We got and then, the space, SpaceX rocket in the painting. Yeah, just like, I just love this because here I feel like I wish all three of these panels were my entire life. That's what we're doing, building worlds, building yep. building stuff. There's a, yeah, all of our shout out to... Uh, um, shout out to our designer in Paris who does a great work. Another thing is, in a non-work context, what do you like most about yourself? What or do, what do you prize most What do you yourself? like mo most about yourself? I think I'm genuinely really kind. Yeah. Yeah, I really like people, and I really like helping people. And dogs. And dogs. I love dogs so much. Your dog is amazing. Yeah, technically. Shout I, out I'll, to Toasty. Yeah, shouts to Toast. He's in every, uh, actually, so the, the huge panel that we have right here, um, he is not in this panel because this is Gen 1. This is pre-Toasty was added into the, uh, he was a later addition to the panel. We decided we have to add him to our to our. You have to. Yeah. No, he's in it. I think he's in the one uh, on the other side over there. To, we'll take a look Wait, at Wait, who this. painted these? Like, so his name is Ulrich. He's a designer in Paris that we, oh, nice. that we use. He's I wasn't awesome. sure if he was like one of your no, 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 no. teammates. He's just, just awesome. Um, There's so many questions. I wish people, like someone could start an entire podcast that's just based on questions that no one ever ask it, yeah. asks. 
It's uh, it, it is great. People only ever ask me about work. I know. And I hear you. It's quite literally the theme of this podcast. It's just work stuff. Unless yeah, people know, are know, out there doing marketing trends uh, or, you know, focused on marketing trends and their non-work time and bless all of you for that. But yeah. Anything else? Anything we missed? Anything to plug? I mean, if they haven't already, everyone should go download the Perksy app. Yeah. Download the Perksy app. And tell us what app. you think. Yeah. Like genuinely, like we want to know. That's what we're all about. Feedback. So sure. like download it. Tell us what you think. And if you're a marketer who's like trying to better understand your audience, just reach out. Yeah. We want to help. Go we, to go to getperksy.com and schedule a demo. And like one of our favorite things to do is actually help with campaigns because it's genuinely fun. Actually, that's like, I would say that's a part of my job that we don't have to do, but we love doing. So we love getting like overly involved, but then our customers love it. Where we're just like, oh, you should totally do this like, yeah. based on what we know about millennials and Gen Z. Like, yep. oh my God, they would so love this. Or like, you got to add this lime green into your, into your product packaging. It would just make it look so dope. That's the, that's the fun part. We do that stuff too. And then like, that's totally the fun part, right? Is like being involved in the campaigns and, and providing value in the creative aspect is just so fun. Totally. Well, that's it. Nadia, you're the best. I appreciate you. you hanging out. Come to the studio. Yeah. Um, this was so much fun. I can't we'll, wait to watch your dog. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> it's going to uh, be great. And we'll uh, we'll link up all your stuff and get Perksy uh, in the show notes. Cool beans. Thanks so much. Thanks so much for having me. Thanks for listening to this episode of Marketing Trends. Marketing Trends is brought to you by Salesforce Pardot. World-class B2B marketers use Pardot to generate and nurture leads, close more deals, and maximize ROI at every stage of the sales cycle. Empower your marketing team to become revenue-generating superheroes, and let Pardot's data analysis keep an eye on the bottom line. Learn more by visiting pardot.com podcast, or click on the link in our show notes. You have eight seconds to make a connection or risk a click away onto the next topic. The difference lies in your ability to deliver relevant experiences to your audience across devices and across channels. But delivering on a really great experience is impossible without the right people and the right technology. You've got the right people, but your technology choices will make or break someone's experience with your brand. At the center of gravity of your digital experience, Brightspot Content Management System can deliver relevant content, personalized experiences, and cross-channel synergies to create unforgettable brand experiences. So you can be a bright spot in someone's day. Head over to brightspot.com forward slash marketing trends to find out right now. From global crisis to hunger relief efforts, the messages you deliver save lives, inform important decision-making, and help keep communities safe and sound. The speed and scale of your content needs to be delivered faster and on a much larger scale. Brightspot Content Management System has supported some of the world's largest brands to communicate on a global scale. From Johnson & Johnson sharing critical information with their customers to helping Whole Foods tell their brand story to a global audience. Brightspot is designed to handle rapid iteration 
and personalized messages to those you care about most. Learn more at brightspot.com forward slash marketing trends.